Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Good morning, church. Welcome. Hey, at this time, if you've got a kiddo who is third grade or under and you'd like them to go to their class down the hall, our teachers are in the back of the room. They'll be ready to take them. Miss Jennifer's leading them that way as we speak. And if you're staying in here with us and got a Bible with you today, I encourage you to open it with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We're going to be taking a break from our Foundations series this morning, just descendants of Shem, and see how those trace out all the way to Abraham there. But this morning we'll be in Acts chapter 6 uh, for a break from that series. As we announced on Friday, we sent out an email uh, in our weekly email, gave you notification that we're looking to install four new deacons in the life of our church here in a couple of weeks. And so this morning, I wanted to take an opportunity to remind us of what deacons are, the role they play in the life of the local church, uh, and your responsibility to engage in the part of the process with us. And so we're going to do so from looking at Acts chapter 6 this morning. We'll pick up reading in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 7 together. I encourage you to follow along with me. If you don't have a copy in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me, and you can read it there. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Luke writes these words. He says, Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's Word. Now this morning as we consider what a deacon is from the pages of Scripture, there may be folks who are coming in the room this morning with all kinds of concepts of what deacons are, but depending upon the kind of church that you were raised in or that you grew up in or that maybe you have experience in. Maybe it conjures up images of well-dressed, like banker-looking dudes sitting in an opulent church parlor, well-furnished with leather chairs and highly varnished tables. Or maybe the word brings to mind just earnest servants of the church who care for the needs of the members, who sacrifice their time and energy to engage in evangelistic outreach or practical and pastoral care. But the question isn't what we conceive of whenever we think of the word deacon, but what does the Bible indicate a deacon is? And that's what we want to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about together. 
And from this particular passage in Acts chapter 6, you see the early church exploding post-Pentecost in the early portion of the book of Acts. Peter preaches, thousands of people come to faith in Christ. Uh, They begin to try to organize themselves. And here we find in Acts chapter 6 that they continue to grow in number. The church in Jerusalem is, is increasing exponentially multiplying greatly and they're trying to figure out how do we organize to care for all the needs that exist in the life of the congregation and so what they land on are uh, appointing individuals to care for some of the practical needs in the life of the church now most scholars whenever they take a look at Acts chapter 6 they say there's nowhere in this particular text that you find the word deacon but many of them point to Acts chapter 6 and say that you have the prototypes of what you see later established as an office of deacon in the New Testament church here in Acts chapter 6. And so what do we learn about deacons in that from Acts chapter 6, the prototype for the office that we see established later on in the New Testament? Several things. The first one is this. It'll be a little more teaching this morning than preaching, and so I hope you'll just bear with me. We kept it cold in here this morning to keep you awake, because I know I'm not going to keep you awake, right? And so uh, I, I want to point out several things to you about the role of deacons. And the first one is this, that deacons are task-specific servants, task-specific servants. Now, the most, most basic meaning of the word diakonos, which is a Greek word in the New Testament, is servant. And it shows up 29 times across the New Testament. In Romans 15, verse 8, we're told that Jesus becomes a diakonos or a servant to the Jews in order to confirm God's promise that he had made to the patriarchs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says that he, along with Apollos, are merely diakonoses, or servants through whom the Corinthians came to believe that God had appointed to each of their ministries. In Ephesians 3.7, Paul says that he has become a diakonos, or a servant of the gospel according to the gift of God's grace. So in a very broad and general sense, anyone who serves the purposes of God or the people of God in the New Testament is loosely a deacon. And yet you're going to find that word, diakonos, used in more specific ways as the church continues to develop and as Paul continues to write and Peter continues to write and James continues to write to the New Testament church to describe an office that was operating in the church. In Philippians 1.1, when Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he and Timothy indicate they are writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus along with the elders or the pastors or the overseers there and the deacons. So they're addressing all the saints, the elders, and deacons. These different categories of individuals. In 1 Timothy 3, you see Paul write to Timothy, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus, and he gives Timothy there qualifications for elders or pastors and deacons. So, which would indicate there's these two separate offices very early on in the life of the local church that are functioning for the health of the ministry of that community. And it is this office that I believe that we see instituted early on in Acts chapter 6. Even though you don't see the word deacon there, I believe you see those appointed by the elders to the work of serving or deaconing, right, to make it into a verb, right, the, uh, the physical needs of the church, In verse 2 of Acts chapter 6, what you see is that we're told that those who are selected would serve. They would serve tables. 
See, many, as I said before, many scholars believe this is the prototype of the office of deacon in the early church. Now, the first deacons, if these are prototypes of the deacons, they were appointed to serve the church by accomplishing a specific task. Right? There was something specific they were installed to do. Right? Ensuring that equal care would be given to all the widows in the life of the church, regardless of their ethnic backgrounds. And so they were given a specific role, a specific task, a specific ministry, which means that deacons aren't a board that meets to deliberate and make decisions, but they are servants that are empowered, equipped, and installed to do the work of ministry. So it's not like this, if you think of it this way, it's not like the elders and the deacons are two branches of government in the church, right? That's how we think of things and conceive of things in our, in our democratic minds. It's not like the elders are the senate, right? And the deacons are the house of representatives and they meet and deliberate and have checks and balances. That's not the way that it works in the early church. Rather, deacons, they don't meet to deliberate, but they serve, the only deliberating body in the life of the local church outside of the local church and its members are the elders who govern and lead and guide the church. Deacons do the work of service. And so how then do deacons serve the church in these task-specific ways? Listen, I believe deacons serve the physical and the fiscal needs of the church. The physical and fiscal needs of the church. See, the men who were appointed in Acts 6 were appointed to serve the physical, tangible, practical needs and the financial concerns as well of the local church. In Acts 6 verse 1, we find there's a benevolence problem in the life of the early church in Jerusalem. See, there was one group of widows, the Hellenists, those from the Greek background, the Gentile widows, who were being neglected by the daily distribution of food and care for those who were in need. That was exactly what it would have been. When it says the daily distribution, they were daily distributing food to care for these widows. Because in those days, there was no welfare system. There was no social security system. There was no food stamps, right? There was no, uh, there, there was no food banks that you could go to and acquire assistance. There was no helping hands, Right? But rather, in that particular era, there, it was a patriarchal society and when women, where women did not work outside the home. And so if your husband died and you were left a widow, you were destitute, particularly if you had no children who were then able to care for you. You were destitute. You were the poorest of the poor because you had no means for securing income for yourself. And so as a result, they cared for those who were in that situation. And so the, the, the complaint arose because there was a group of Hellenistic widows who were not being cared for in the same way as the Hebrew widows. So in other words, the Gentile widows were not receiving the same kind of distribution of food as the Jewish widows were. Because the church felt a need to care for the widows, those in need among her. And in a very real way, these early deacons, they organized and facilitated the benevolence ministry of the local church. To make sure that there was equal distribution of food. That all widows were being cared for equally. They managed church resources. The, 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 the contribution of the food or the finances in order to procure the food. In order to be able to provide for the needs of the congregation. And make sure it was distributed equitably. So that was the specific task they were assigned to do. And they were both managing fiscal needs and physical needs in the life of the congregation. 
And it was vital for the well-being of the church. It was vital for the well, physical well-being of the widows. So they would have food to eat to sustain, sustain themselves. It served the spiritual well-being because it freed up the time of the apostles to continue to preach and pray. And it serves as a witness to the watching world. To see that kind of care being distributed among those in need amongst God's church. Jesus himself says in John chapter 13 verses 34 to 35. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And then 1 John chapter 3, John, piggybacking off of what Jesus says in John 13, says in 1 John chapter 3 verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Jesus says, the way the world's going to know you're my disciples and my followers is by the way that you love one another. And John says, if you see someone in need and you close your heart towards that need, how does God's love abide in you? Therefore, how will the world know that you're his disciple? So in a very real way, this was a witness to the watching world and the way that they serve the physical and fiscal needs of the church. Third, deacons work for unity in the body. They work for unity in the body. See, in Acts chapter 6, there's something bigger that's going on here than serving tables. There's something more significant at stake. There was a growing rift between these two ethnic groups in the church, the Greeks and the Jews. So the deacons weren't merely addressing a practical benevolence problem in the life of the church. How are we going to distribute food? But rather... Their ministry served to promote unity in the church and prevent fracturing along ethnic lines because one group was being cared for and the other was being neglected. Right? That's how the text started. See, there was a complaint issued by one group against another to the apostles, and the apostles didn't say, hey, look, get over it. Life isn't always fair. Right? That's not how they respond. Rather, they saw it as a threat to the unity of the church. And it must be addressed. So their response was to call on the church to select spiritually mature and wise people who would serve in such a way as to promote church unity. They were to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. In other words, these were people who walked with God. Right? They, they were yielded to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their life. They weren't grieving the Holy Spirit. They weren't quenching the Holy Spirit. But they were yielding to the Holy Spirit. Allowing the Spirit's ministry in their own life to overflow. And they were full of wisdom. So they were competent for the task that needed to be addressed. So these were spiritually mature and qualified individuals who were promoting unity by, listen, affording justice to making sure there was equitable care for both groups rather than playing favorites or only addressing the needs of one to the neglect of the other. So you notice they appoint deacons with diverse backgrounds and we know that from their names. Some of these are Jewish names, some of these are Gentile names. Who would, and rather, but rather than having an eye of like, rather than having an eye of just caring for their own ethnic group, right? These deacons were to be full of the Spirit and why? So that, 
right? They wouldn't function as lobbyists in the early church, right? You know what a lobbyist does in Washington? They promote special interests of a few people rather than caring and being concerned about the well-being and welfare of the entire nation. Deacons are not to be lobbyists who are promoting the special, special interest of some to the neglect of the care and welfare of the whole. Right? But they are to be wise and mature Christians who say, you know what? I'm not here to lobby for my particular area of ministry, but I'm here to conduct ministry in a way that's going to ensure that the welfare of the entire church is always in view, is always at the front of my mind, is always on my heart. So I'm not lobbying for a particular group of people. That's what these deacons did. They weren't lobbyists, but rather they were concerned for the entire need, all the needs of the church, not just giving special treatment to one group over another. So they worked for unity by affording justice, but listen, they also worked for unity by absorbing shock. By absorbing shock. Now listen, my family, we were driving down the road a few weeks ago, and in front of us was a vehicle that apparently had, had some deferred maintenance on it for quite some time. Right? We all know what those look like. Now, this truck that was in front of us, every time it hit a bump, like any small bump in the road, right, the whole back of the truck went like this. Okay? Right? That's a good indication that the shocks on the back of that truck are a little bit worn, perhaps completely worn out. And so as a result, whenever the shocks are worn out on a vehicle, any time it hits a small bump, right, what is intended to be a bump in the road becomes something that can be destructive for it, right? Because everything shakes violently, particularly if you drive on roads in the area that I grew up in, Louisiana. Louisiana has notoriously bad roads. I was back there this week, all right, driving down some little small parish roads, okay? Little small, like what we would call country roads, all right? And there were potholes everywhere. To take that truck that was driving in front of us a few weeks ago here in Dallas and to put it on those roads in Louisiana would have meant certain destruction and damage, okay? Because it's, the roads are so terrible. Because it, it couldn't absorb the shock. What would, what would have been a bumpy ride for healthy shocks becomes a destructive and damaging ride for those without shocks. And listen, deacons serve as shock absorbers in the life of the church. By, that's, that's one of the ways they promote unity. Because they're ensuring right? That things that could grow into fractures and divisions because practical needs are not being addressed. Deacons are stepping into those needs to address those needs, to express care, to organize people to care for those needs, and to make sure that things are getting done so that it doesn't become an issue that would cause division or destruction. Listen, in church life, there's always going to be bumps, Okay, that's, the, that's reality. But those bumps don't have to become potholes that would engulf an entire church. And deacons, that's the part of the role they play in the life of the church. They are individuals who help absorb shock rather than creating shock. Right? They shouldn't be those, right, who, who create shock with their attitudes and actions. But rather they help absorb it by the way they handle crises, by the way they address practical care. 
which is, I think, the reason for the character qualifications for the office of deacon given in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Right? Because these are supposed to be mature, godly individuals. Rather, the, the people serving as deacons in the church should be people who diffuse situations rather than escalate them. Right? People who don't start fires but put them out. People who don't blow up bridges but help build them and mend relationships. So you don't put someone in the office of deacon because they complain the loudest. Okay? That's, been the, that's the qualifier in some churches. Right? But you install people in the office of deacon because they have the capacity to serve in such a way as to promote unity. In addition, and finally, listen, deacons, they support the ministry of the word. They support the ministry of the word. Notice in Acts 6, the apostles don't say, listen, it's, 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 it's not a part of the best practices manual we read on, on church government, right, for us to do everything and delegate nothing, okay? That's not what they say. Rather, they say in verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, in other words, it's, it's, it's not the way that God would have designed the ministry of the church to function for us to stop preaching in order to, to wait on tables. In other words, they were unwilling to let the preaching ministry of the church suffer so they could focus on the practical ministry of the church. Rather, they acknowledged that the practical ministry of the church was just as vital and necessary as the preaching ministry of the church for the unity of the church. So you've got to have both, both the preaching ministry and the practical ministry to make sure needs are being met. And I want you to notice how the whole church responds to this solution the apostles put forward. In verse 5, we, this is what we read. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. When they said, choose, right, seven men that we can appoint to this, this table-serving ministry to make sure everyone's being cared for appropriately, make sure all the needs are being addressed, the task is being accomplished. And whenever they promote that, whenever they posit that solution, what does the church say? Yes, they celebrate it. It's pleasing to their ears. They were fully supportive of a structure where some gave their energy and attention to preaching and shepherding and others gave their energy and attention to practically organizing and doing. It, 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 they proposed that arrangement and the church said, yes, this is exactly the direction that we should go. It pleased the entire assembly. They said, it's a great idea. They didn't say, hey, well, listen, Peter and James, you guys are the paid professionals, so you should do everything. Right? It's not how they respond. And this approach supported the preaching ministry of the apostles while caring for the practical ministry in the lives of the members. And it did it in such a way as not to create this varsity and JV divide amongst those who were engaged in ministry. It wasn't like the apostles because they were preaching. Like they were the varsity ministers. And the deacons who were serving and organizing and ministrating, they were the JV ministers. That's not how it worked. But they were on equal footing with different roles in the life of the church to promote unity and health and discipleship and growth. Both of those things were vital and important. But one of the things I believe that this leads me to conclude is that the kinds of people who ought to be serving as deacons in the life of the church 
are those who also not only value the organizing and the planning and the executing, but they also value the priority and the ministry, the, the ministry of the word. They should be people who are who value faithful preaching and teaching and want to free up the time of the elders to shepherd and to teach and to preach so that they can give their attention and time to that while the deacons give their attention and time to serving and administrating practical care and ministry. Deacons shouldn't be people who minimize that, nor should elders be people who minimize the practical care and practical ministry. But a part of what that looks like, if they're not minimizing the preaching ministry of the church, it means that they are faithful to be present whenever the word is opened. So they're here regularly, consistently, in an ongoing capacity. Right? So it's not like church is the thing that they do when they have nothing else to do. Right? But they're here week in and week out, other than illness and, and vacations. But they're here. They have a consistent presence among God's people. So it's not like whenever you say, hey, if you're interested in serving in this area that's led by this deacon, and they go, well, who is that? I've been here six months and I hadn't met him. Or I have no idea. I hadn't seen him. Right? Because they're not here. But they're faithful to be and hear the word corporately, consistently. And they, they're they're they, they love the Word of God. They love the Word of God. And they support the ministry of it in the church. Now, listen, right now in the life of our church, we have deacons who are operating. We have a deacon of benevolence, Allison Webb, who has been serving in that capacity for a number of years and doing a great job. Whenever somebody submits a benevolence request, she's the first line of response to that to help provide financial paying electric bills or water bills or uh, helping with rent or utilities or those types of things. Right now, we have deacons of hospitality, the Harveys, who are ensuring that we have greeters and receiving guests well into our our church body. We have a deacon of women's ministry, Lindsay John, who's been serving in that capacity now for five years. Uh, we have uh, a, 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 a other, other deacons, a deacon of prayer, uh, and, and, a, and a deacon of kids ministry, and right now a vocational deacon of kids ministry, and a deacon of worship and student ministry with Zach, who leads our worship team and our student ministry on, on, on Sundays and throughout the week. But we're also proposing that we need uh, several more deacons. And we sent those names out to you of those candidates we believe to be qualified for that on Friday. We believe that we need a deacon of community outreach, a deacon of evangelism. We need a deacon of women's ministry and men's ministry. I said earlier, Lindsay's been serving that capacity for five years. But with some potential changes coming in their family dynamics as they move toward becoming foster parents... Uh, she felt like she needed to take a step back from that. And so after visiting with her uh, and with Miss Jeannie Ganey, uh, who's been orchestrating and administrating the women's Bible studies now for the last several years, Jeannie has agreed to step into that role, serving as the deacon of women's ministry as Lindsay moves out of that role. We also looking to promote someone in the deacon of men's ministry. That role was vacated when Craig Cooper moved from the deacon of men's ministry into the position of serving as an elder. And I've been visiting with Dan Euland about taking on that responsibility as a deacon of men's ministry to plan men's events and studies and ensure that our men have mentoring relationships with one another and can go deep with someone who's investing in them and discipling them. 
or deacon of community outreach, which was vacated whenever Stephen Tumacelli became an elder. And I've been visiting with Adia Linda about serving in that capacity and believe that she's well equipped to engage in needs in our community and help us know where we can leverage our time and energy to serve outside of our walls in our community. And we've also felt a need to install a deacon of evangelism. Somebody will help raise the temperature for evangelism in the life of our congregation. And many of you know Jake Richardson, uh, who came to seminary just because he wanted to be able to do evangelism better. That's the whole reason he went to seminary, because he wanted to be able to share the gospel in more effective ways. And so he's going to be stepping into that role, Lord willing, in, in a couple of weeks to champion evangelistic efforts. In fact, after Easter, he's going to launch an Alpha course study. Alpha is an evangelistic Bible study, right, that's go over the course of 11 weeks, which invites people from the community who are contemplating or considering the Christian worldview, right? To say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm exploring this, right? And it's, it's, it's designed to, to reach people with the gospel in our community. And so these four roles and these four individuals our elders are putting forward before you to serve as task-specific servants to ensure that needs in the life of our church are being met, that we're being effective and faithful in practical ministry as we move forward, develop, and grow as a church body. Now, you may ask the question, what, am, what, what do I do with all this if I'm not going to be installed as a deacon? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you two things this morning, and then we're done. The first one is this. Our bylaws ask, indicate that there's a two-week kind of public comment period for deacons who are being proposed to be installed. And during those two weeks, we would ask you to express any concerns and any affirmations that you would have about these individuals that we have put before you to be installed as deacons. And so if you have a particular concern about a candidate, we ask that you bring that to our, uh, the attention of our elders. Right? If there's red flags that you see that we don't see as we have vetted them and spent time with them and had conversations with them, then bring those to us because we need to know about those things. Right? And I've shared with each of the deacons that this is a part of the process. Okay? And so they're opening their lives up uh, to be evaluated by our congregation. But I would also ask that if you have affirmations for those particular candidates, that you bring those as well. Let our elders know, hey, I can see that individual serving well in this capacity. And not only say that to us, but I would encourage you to say that to the candidate themselves. There is nothing like knowing that the church is behind you through words of affirmation as you step into a role of service. And so share those things, all right? Communicate them, not only with us, but with them. The second thing I would ask you to do is this, to support the ministry of our deacons. Support the ministry of our deacons. Listen, if you go back to Acts chapter 6, it's likely that the seven who were appointed and installed by the elders or the apostles there in the church in Jerusalem, they didn't do all the service, right? But they organized and facilitated the work to be done by all the members of the church, See, the church in Jerusalem had thousands of members at this point. People were coming to faith. It was the first mega church in human history before God sent persecution and scatters them right across the Mediterranean world. So they had thousands of members. As a result, the seven that were appointed in Acts chapter 6, they couldn't address every situation that arose personally, but I can imagine they would have organized themselves in such a way as to make sure every situation could be addressed. 
In fact, that's what I say to all of our staff members whenever they are hired and every deacon whenever they are installed, is that it's not your responsibility to do all the work, but it's your responsibility to make sure all the work is done. So some things ought to be delegated. Recruit a team to be a part of this ministry with you. Because the truth is, listen, none of these deacons who have been currently serving with us, nor any of the deacons that are going to be, Lord willing, installed in a couple of weeks, have a silver bullet for ministry, right? That's not the way that it works. But rather, they are better as they recruit a team to be a part of this with them. To serve in very meaningful capacities alongside of our deacons. And so I would say to you as a church, listen, in the size that we are currently, there is, even at the size that we are in the ministries that we have, you can't do everything. Okay? That's a reality. That's a recipe for burnout. Trust me. I know. I've been there. You can't do everything, but you should do something. You should do something. So let me ask you, where is your passion? Where's, where, where does your heart beat for? Does it beat for prayer? If it does, show up at morning prayer, Sunday mornings at 8.30. Come to evening prayer, su- Sunday afternoons at 4 o'clock. Be a part of the prayer ministry text chain that's going out. Be a part of interce- interceding on your knees for God's purposes and God's people. Be a part of that. Is your heart for benevolence and caring for needs of members of our congregation financially in the life of our church? See Allison and ask her, hey, how could I help you? Right? How could I be a part of that? Are you passionate about reaching out to members of our community and moving into right, opportunities for service outside of our walls? Right? That's an area that Adia will be trying to recruit a team for should she come into this role of deacon of community outreach. To be a part of that. And say, hey, how can we network and connect with this organization? How can we serve with this nonprofit that's already doing great work in our community and be a part of that and send people, funnel people into their, their pipeline for volunteers? Are you passionate about evangelism, seeing people come to faith in the Lord Jesus? Connect with Jake and say, Jake, when you launch the Alpha course, I want to be a part of that with you and learn how to facilitate because I would like to lead one one day as well. Right? Wouldn't that be a great opportunity if we had three or four people who were to go through that as a pilot to say, yes, I would envision leading an Alpha course one day because I too have a passion for evangelism. I want to see people come to faith in Jesus. What about hospitality of receiving new folks as they walk through our doors? Connect with the harvest and say, plug me in. Where can I be a part of that team? How can I make follow-up phone calls? How can I connect with people who have visited our church over and over again? How can I be a part of the review guest reception that takes place on a monthly basis? Because we want some of our members to be in there as hosts who can receive those who are exploring membership with us to connect with them relationally. Invite them into your, to, to visit your life group. Right, so they get to know people in the church, not just the doctrine and the mission and the vision and the values of the church. Right, connect with the Harveys if you want to be a part of hospitality. If, should Dan step into this men's role? Listen, this has historically been an area in the life of our church where we have struggled to get men involved in the men's ministry. And I think it's going to take a team of men who could say, yes, let's rally together to create something here where where we can do things together, where we can serve together, but also we can mentor and disciple one another. 
Learn what it means to be godly men in our homes, godly men in our churches, godly men in our community. Right? So say, Dan, how can I help? How can I be a part of standing something up here which has historically struggled to stand up? Or the women's ministry, see Jeannie as she comes into that role and say, hey, what can I do? How can I be a part of that? Or member safety. That was the one I left out earlier. Andy's been, Andy Rickers has been facilitating a team that just kind of gives some, some watch and helps to try to diffuse situations that might arise here on our physical property as we meet. Right, how can you be a part of that? Some of you already serve there. Our kids ministry or the administration. You can't do everything, but you should do something. We believe that every member ought to have a ministry because God's equipped every Christian with a spiritual gift. And that's the way you go about supporting the ministry of our deacons. Is by going to them and saying, how can I help? How can I be a part of what God's doing here in our midst? So as we move toward installing some new deacons, Lord willing, in two weeks at the table, I wanted to remind you of what deacons are in the life of the church. They are task-specific servants who lead areas of ministry that we've identified as needs in the life of our local church, right? And you can be a part of that process by either expressing concerns or affirmations, and then once they come online saying, how can I help? How can I be a part of that? So that as they engage in these practical needs, they're supporting the, the ministry of the word and of shepherding for our elders to free them up so that their time and energy isn't spent organizing and facilitating and executing, but in preaching and shepherding and guiding. That's how those two offices work together to ensure that the church is healthy and unified. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and lead us in a song as we reflect on what God has said to us through his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that you saw fit to appoint these two offices in the life of the church, elders and deacons, pastors and servants. And Father, neither one is more important than the other. Both are equally valuable and equally vital in the life of the church. So Father, may we not elevate one to a platform above the other and with regards to its importance. They are equal, equal in their value, just distinct in the roles that they play. And so, Father, as we move toward the installation of some new deacons in the life of our church, help us to consider well the character of these men and women and their giftings, and Father, if there be any cause for concern, I pray that those would be made known. If there be any affirmations for the types of men and women these folks are and the giftings they have, I pray that you would move our members to share that with our elders and with these deacon candidates as well. And Father, I pray that in two weeks we'd be able to install new deacons. And I pray that we as members of this church body would support their work by being engaged in it with them.
by being a part of a team that would help facilitate their ministries and asking them how we can help so that your church might be healthy, whole, and unified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through His Word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust Him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.